the volume. This Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 18887897777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1800gambler or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1877770stop for Louisiana 1800270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 18778hopeny or text hopeny for New York Tennessee Redline 1800889 9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www1800 for West Virginia. Welcome to the sessions. I'm really excited for this episode because I'm joined by the one, the only Lars Fredrickson. You guys may know him from Rancid. You may know him as an absolute huge mega fan of professional wrestling he has been in and around the scene for some time now it's really cool we like get into that about how he met tony khan on like some like (laughs) some chat room kind of situation i don't really know how those work i i don't enter into that underbelly of the internet but they were like trading tapes and and whatnot like way back in the day But this guy has just been a fan for forever. Uh, Growing up in the Bay Area, he talks about all the wrestling that he had access to and going to shows and just his mega fandom. But we also spend a hell of a lot of time talking about music, duh. Um, But just talking about like vinyl and him getting into the scene and what makes things so great. He's just got such a really cool perspective on everything. I mean, the guy has literally been there and done it all. Um, I love when worlds collide, when you have someone like Lars Fredrickson, who is just this like, you know, world renowned badass that loves pro wrestling. So we can kind of shoot the shit on a, a plethora of different topics. So that is exactly what we did. So without further ado, let's get into it, guys. This is Lars Fredrickson. life. What's happening? I'm so happy to to have you on here. We've only met very briefly backstage uh, in in Las Vegas. Um, and we'll get into some of that stuff. But what what's going on in your world right now? I mean, what isn't? Teenage boys. Uh, oh, how's that? What's that life like? It's challenging. How old are they? One will be 15 on Sunday. And then my... Virgo. And I'm a Virgo too. So Me too. What, when's your birthday? The 19th. Okay. So you're September 19th. Yeah. Okay. So he's a triple Virgo though. What's that mean? He's just very anal, secretive, and very 
but but you know he's he's also got a heart of gold like when he loves he loves real hard because that's what virgos do right so yeah but yeah so dealing you know high school now because i you know i'm a 10th grade dropout so my high school experience even though i was there for about three and a half years i only made it to 10th grade so it's just maneuvering around that kind of thing you know because he's obviously got a way different life than i ever had and both of them do and then my youngest he's He's a crack up, but that it's, it's basically me looking at myself in a mirror. So he's very sensitive and he's a Scorpio too. So he, he's very loyal. What are your Virgo tendencies that really shine through? I'm so organized. I'm so clean. You can eat a a five course dinner off my kitchen floor. I'm like that guy. Like I love to clean. I love to organize. I love to, I have like, I might have a mess, but it's an organized mess. Do you have like those, those like big, like perfectionist tendencies? Well, 100%. I don't think I could, I would be here if I didn't. To be successful, I think you're an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. <laughs> Just constantly battling each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you have to think that you're the best thing that, you know, the walk God's green earth, you know, and then you also think that you're the biggest piece of shit on planet earth too. So it's like, you're always wrestling with that, you know? And I, but I feel like the creativity comes from there. You know, and and also, you know, battling with like alcoholism and stuff like that throughout my life, you know, getting sober really young and being able to stay sober for, you know, 29 years or whatever. But my point is, is that like when you kind of come from a place where like I was, you know, just for instance, when I was talking about my, my high schooler, it's like I only had a certain level of training in that. So being a parent now, it's like when he brought, you know, so he brought girls home, a few of his buddies were, you know, are at the house and a couple girls come over and like one part of me is rooting for him. Like, whoa. But the other part, I went into my partner to Joanna. I was like, what do I do? Like, I got to be a dad here. Like, you know, yes, I'm rooting for him, but you know, what, what are the boundaries? God, the world is just changing so much before our eyes. And like, I watch certain TV shows and like, just like different like influences and whatnot. That you're like, oh my God, what are kids doing these days? Like, I know like when I was younger, we were just like, you know, people are smoking weed, maybe a little like hash, drinking some like weird liquor that we got like peach schnapps. That was really the extent of it. No one's really getting into any trouble. Now you look at like these shows and like the drugs that are available to these kids and like they're like sexually promiscuous. And now having this like daughter, I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do with you? Luckily for you, who you're married to. I mean, that's pretty intimidating. So if I'm a young man coming over courting your daughter, I'm probably going to think twice before I do something stupid. Strong point. Right. Strong point. You know, so I mean, and it's, you know. From my interactions with your husband, I, you know, he's he's definitely, you know, got a, a presence about him. So um, not it's not that scary to me, but I understand that, like, if I was walking in there, I would probably be a little bit intimidated. Like, I'm hoping if I ever have a daughter. I feel like you would have that air about you as well. You look like somebody that nobody really wants to fuck with. Well, thank you. <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, you know, I feel like. Over the course of, I'm 51, you know, so I just had my birthday on the 30th. Happy so birthday. I just turned 51. Thank you. And I feel like I'm, you know, as a result of like, you know, a couple of divorces and now in a relationship that's truly has that real intimacy, I feel like that's helped soften me to a certain degree. And 
that is the thing that I feel like it's the biggest change in my life. You know, I don't necessarily, I mean, I would always hear that age slows you down or mellows you out. It hasn't really slowed me down, but I feel like with the right person, it can mellow you out. And you start kind of, you know, as the older that you get, because like you're talking about, you know, these guys, the kids now, fentanyl's in every fucking thing, right? So when we were kids, it was like smoking weed, peppermint schnapps or peach schnapps or whatever, maybe a bottle of port wine that you stole from your grandma. Yeah, I'll show you a hangover. Give me some peach schnapps and let's throw it back. I mean, we were drinking like God. those $2 bottles of Wild Irish Rose and Night Train <laughs> and just, you know, the rot gut that would come and then eating 7-Eleven oh chili God. cheese dogs at three in the morning or whatever. Rotten. is terrible. Bad. What a life. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, I feel like that th- what they're facing, is far- especially with like the social media and the cancel culture and just like all this yeah, other shit. Everything's on the internet. Yeah. yeah. And it's a very vocal minority that I feel like is, you know, creating this environment where everybody thinks that they have to like sort of adapt to these, you know, I, and like I said, I'm 51, I'm a child of the seventies. So I'm a latchkey kid. So it was a different, completely different experience. And what, what does that mean to be a latchkey kid? What is that? Well, latchkey is like, we had a key to the house because our parents were at work. So, oh, so you, 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 you used to wear it as a necklace. You, you get a little piece of twine and wear your house key around your neck. Yeah, okay. So, okay. <clears throat> I mean, latchkey kids, I, that, I, it's a term, you know, because you're both your parents. Well, in my case, it was just my mom raising two boys, but uh, you know, we were sort of had to fend for ourselves. So, you know, from the time in the morning, we'd go to school. Then you had every, you know, all day till five thirty or six o'clock when mom got home and, you know, you were doing some crazy shit or getting into some crazy things and experimenting. But I feel like, you know, the experimentation back then, you know, it's just my experience, obviously it was a lot different. I, I mean, I, my first consequences, I was 11 when I first got thrown into juvenile hall. What'd you do? It was breaking and entering. And then it was cruelty to animals because I was high on PCP and this dog kept barking at me. So there was this gum that just come out called tidal wave gum. It had like a liquid center and I had the green Mm -hmm. apple and I put the whole pack of gum in my mouth. And then I wrapped the chewing gum around the dog because my thought was the dog would be trying to bite the chewing gum off his fur as opposed to barking at me and giving me a really bad trip, which it, it worked. And then I was very violent to another human being in that scenario and I got another charge on me, but uh, I, I sort of took his eyeball out of his head. It was, Stop. it was, it was, it, I think they call it mayhem, but. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I was a very crazy young, young guy. I mean, I'm, I'm fucking from Danish descent, so I'm a Viking, you know, but. Oh, I, I would love to get into some of that. But I, and I think that, you know, my mom was a World War II survivor you know, and she came to this country in 60, she came in 60 and then came back for good in 61. She had experienced a lot of craziness, you know, she'd seen things that none of us, thank God, won't have to see, you know, and experienced at a very young age, four years old, five years old, watching atrocities and things. And I, and I feel like that maybe the household was, was different. Not only one, because it was a very, my mom was European, right? And my dad was out of the picture by the time I was three. So, the culture inside our house wasn't like your typical American, you know, candy corn culture. So (laughs) (laughs) 
candy corn, candy stripers, yeah. what have yeah. you. So we were, we're, we're, you know, we, so I think that, you know, we, you know, we celebrated Christmas on Christmas Eve because of the winter solstice. It was pagan. It was a, you know, there was the, the, you know, the true before the Christians hijacked all the, all the Santa Claus and, and, you know, all the holidays and made it Jesus's birthday and all that stuff. So sure. Sure. You guys have the Krampus. Yeah. Oh, that's German, right? Well, it's German, German. but I mean, it, you know, Santa Claus is Odin. And the only reason why we have Santa yeah. Claus is because of the Coca-Cola company. So, you know, that's a whole made up thing, just like Valentine's day or anything else. Right. So sure. I, I feel like just having that sort of experience growing up and being in that sort of a sort of environment, I sort of looked at the world differently. I had a lot more compassion, you know, for, for like, I didn't see race. Like I didn't really even know that was a thing until later on. Like, you know, cause we grew mm-hmm. up, I grew up with blacks and Vietnamese and Tongans and Samoans and Mexicans and everybody, we were all fucking poor. So we had that in common. And I think the only thing that, you know, when we settled our differences, we, we, you know, we went to each other's houses and said, meet you at the 10 mark in five minutes. And then we settled our differences and then we moved on. I used to have this theory that if, you know, because I, and it was all about not wanting to connect with people, right? Because I was afraid of that, that sort of intimate connection with people. I was the guy that went to the big guy at the party and like would start some shit. It worked out basically maybe 50% of the time. Sometimes the guy would have a glass That's job. not about average. That's not bad. Well, this only happened a few times okay. because I learned my lesson. My, my point is, is that I would maybe, you know, try something with them and maybe he would back down because of my previous reputation or maybe I would get a, you know, a lucky one in and he had a glass jaw and fall down. And then I would, st- I was the crazy guy, right? Either way it works. So I'm, if I'm fighting the guy and I win, I'm the crazy guy. If I fight the guy, the big guy and I lose, I'm still the crazy guy. Right. So, yeah. And I'm still like putting that, you know, boundary between me and everybody else. Like you can't get close. Do you still get scrappy with people? I have a tendency to do that. Like if my friends are in danger or my children are in danger or my girlfriend's in danger, or if I'm in danger, yeah, I can flip on a switch. Yeah. I'm not as definitely not as quick. I mean, at 51, I feel like you're running a tight ship over there. But see, I'm not like a fair, I'm not like a clean guy. You know, I'm I, I, you're I, a dirty I, fighter. Oh yeah. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that there's rules. I'd be a know? dirty fighter too, for what it's worth. <laughs> Sand in the eyes, fireballs. If we're going to scrap and you're handing me a pair of boxing gloves, then I think, okay, there's some parameters here. We're going to have some boundaries. Sure. But if like you're coming at me, whatever I can grab and whatever I can use, I will do it. Survival. It's what we do. Yeah. We'll see. That's the thing. We're, men are, are hardwired to procreate and survive. That's in our DNA. Keep the species going and eat. That's that's what we do. That's how we move on. Um, what what Danish traditions do you still um, hold on to? Christmas for sure. I actually last night I just made a frikadella, which is like a Danish meatball because uh, you know the kids will eat it. And it's basically so. My, I still got my mom's recipes. My mom, you know, was a great cook, and I still got a lot a lot of, a lot of her cookbooks and stuff. But I yeah, so I made it last night for us, and you have it with the red cabbage and you know all the other stuff. And fortunately for me, my partner is really into it too. And she loves the tradition of it all. So, I mean, she's from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, right? So, so she's from the East coast, but you know, she's very spiritual and she's very connected. She's a fucking Pisces. So she's out in the ozone a lot. (laughs) I never really 
thought much about our like star signs all that much. But the the older I get, I'm like, fuck, I am a Virgo. God, so anal retentive about things. And I'm like, oh, I'm so carefree. Everything's fine. But then I'm like, no, I'm not. Nobody touch anything. <laughs> if you would only listen to me, your life would be better. Oh, my you God. Know what I mean? John could come up here and give a whole like tutorial on what it's like living with me. Shit. <laughs> Shit hits the fan. But we're, we love hard and we're loyal as fuck. You know what I mean? But Christmas, for sure, you know, we always celebrate it on Christmas Eve. And uh, that's something that's been in my family since I can remember. It's more about the winter solstice. You guys do presents and everything Christmas Eve? The whole shebang? Yeah. 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 That's when most that's when most Scandinavian countries yeah. do it because it's about the winter solstice. It, you know, we're talking about, you know, the original religion is paganism, right? So it's like some of those ideas and those ideals still kind of hold true for me. You know, because I never was really a Jesus guy or a Buddha guy or, a, you know, whatever, you know, I wasn't that's not really my trip. You know, my trip has always been about, you know, the earth. No, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you on that. Actually, I do feel the same. It's I'm, I'm with you. So hippie hippie out, my brother. For me, it's all about finding a power greater than myself. That's not me. And uh, and you can see that the earth has prime examples. I mean, you can't go and stop the the waves crashing in on the, on the shore, right? You don't have that power. So there is powers greater than us, the wind, you know, the forest, the trees, you know, there's a lot of things out there, you know, that shows us that we are very insignificant <clears throat> and I'm not really afraid of death. You know, I mean, I think that's more of a Christian thing, you know, so it's about life and life and life and life. And, you know, and it's just, it's, it's kind of like, that's not really how I, what I've subscribed to, you know, I'm not really religious in that sense. I mean, religion all really basically means is going back to getting back in touch with one's roots. And so what, but I'm, I'm not also the type to begrudge anybody on their spiritual beliefs. Like I don't, I'm a California boy. I don't give a fuck who you sleep with, who you want to pray to. And you know, I don't, that doesn't matter to me. It's never mattered to me. Start the NFL week off right with a no sweat, same game parlay every Thursday from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. It doesn't matter if you're new to FanDuel or you already have an account. Every Thursday night, you'll get free bets back if your NFL same game parlay doesn't hit. Same game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. I'm talking game lines, totals, spreads, player props, touchdown scorers, so many to choose from. You can build your own or choose from one of the popular same game parlays pre-built in for you in FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. However you want to play, you can bet the NFL every Thursday night with a no-sweat same game parlay. Just sign up with the promo code Renee. And if you don't already have an account, that's promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E, to get free bets back if your same game parlay doesn't hit. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Disclaimer, 21 in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 
1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 for New York. TN Redline, 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Let's talk vinyl. You obviously have a great collection. I've seen it on uh, your social media when you're uh, pulling some records out and whatnot. What for you goes into a great vinyl is it when they you know you get these exclusive editions that come out in great colors I always refer back to um, Jack White's solo album that he put out that had like all the little secret inlay tracks there's like the little angel hologram that flies around on it Um, what's some really like special stuff that you've stumbled upon over your years well you know when I first started listening to music and consuming music it was vinyl right I mean that was the sort of the, the way that you did it and you know, you, you had to be sort of upper middle class to have like an eight track player, you know, and those things were shitty because, you know, they would flip over halfway through a song. So you weren't getting the full experience. But I, I always loved bands who could make records. It wasn't about singles. It was always about records. You know, fine examples of that were like, let's I'm going to just say ACDC. They were a, definitely a record band. Like you listen to the record from start to finish. And it was like it was taking you through a, a journey. A musical journey, let's say. Most of the records that I gravitated to, and maybe this is going to, I will answer your question, but I needed to give this sort of background. Most of the records I gravitated to were solid from start to finish. And as a musician, when you make a record, that's the, I always envision it on vinyl because that's the first way I learned how to listen to music. Yeah, we're not skipping songs here. No. So, and that's one of the things that you can do with CDs and, you know, you used to be able to do it with tapes. You know, I think that was the first, or, or you just pick up the needle, right? But what attracts me now, what I love, is I, I do love limited edition kind of stuff. Like, I do find that attractive because I'm a record vinyl guy. You know, it's like the more colorful it is, great. If it's a different packaging with maybe more content, it's great. It doesn't necessarily need to be more music, so to speak. But if you leave the original recording intact, that's going to always attract me. And then maybe you give me something extra on a different piece of vinyl. That's going to also attract me. Um, like I love Motorhead stuff. Like the Motorhead's like my favorite band, right? So they've been putting out like these box sets that get like very intricate with pictures and stories and different kinds of shit. And I'm just like a sucker for that, right? Like Motorhead, you had me at hello. I'm going to pretty much buy everything and consume everything that, that comes out. I'm that target market, right? But there are other bands that I'm, I'm like that with too. Kiss might be one. ACDC might be one. Uh, you know, any kind of punk rock stuff that I've fallen in love with over the years. And, you know, because that's been like, you know, my thing for obviously like four decades. You know, so like I'm always going to be attracted to, to stuff, to, to good music. And I feel like regardless, it's not, you know, I'm, I will, if I'm at a record store and I see that it's on red vinyl, I'm probably going to grab that one as opposed to the black vinyl. It's hard not to. Yeah. It's, it's just a thing, you know, they, I'm that consumer, whatever research they did, Lars Fredrickson, I'm sure was part of it. And <laughs> yeah. you're like, oh yeah, if Lars is going to buy it, then we need to do this color. Slap some you know? red on it. Yeah. What is the best thing that you found in like one of the dollar bins when you're just like crate digging? See, this is the thing. It's like when when 
I always go to the crates when something's out of style. That's the key. So if I want to go for old hip hop, then I'm going to go when it. I know I can see when the market's going, doing this, whatever. I know I'm going to find a public enemy record for five bucks. That's not the case right now. Any public enemy record on original pressing is going to be 50, 100 bucks, right? So I know that I'm not going to find that in the dollar bin right now. You might be lucky, you know, in Sandusky, Ohio, you know. And they did not get the memo. Right. And Bill's thrift and fucking blah, blah, blah is going to have that copy of, you know, that record, you, you know. So I always try to go. And what I do, but I found like, uh, I found a Rose Tattoo is one, another one of my favorite bands. Their first record, it's got nice boys don't play rock and roll on it. And it, the original pressing, I believe was a gatefold sleeve. And I bought it for 50 cents at a record swap. And this was 25 years ago. For whatever reason, with as much world traveling, which is, I've been to every record store that I think some of that are not even there anymore. Ooh, best city for records. My biggest scores have been in Cincinnati, actually. There's a little record store underneath that club there. There, or at least there was. What's the name of the club in Cincinnati? There's. I don't know because I've not been to any of them yet, but I know that there is one with a little cred behind it. Yeah, well, there's one that's underneath the club. So there's a big, it's like a thousand, fifteen hundred seater venue on top. And then you have to go. There's like, and through either way you can get, there's like a little street here and it's like underneath it. But anyways, I found a lot of scores there. I forget the name of the record store. I'm failing, but there's been a few like one, two, three, four go records in Oakland, California is an amazing record store. It's got everything and they're very helpful. They're super nice guys that grew up in the scenes and they're not like elitist hipsters. Yeah, or that can be like a little that. intimidating sometimes. You're like, oh, fuck those guys. Fuck I know guys. it's the worst. Let me pick out something. Take your 1800s era mustache and get on fuck your 10 speed and fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> fuck off. But you know, with your fucking $9 matcha latte and your $20 avocado toast. Yeah, you kick rocks. Moron. But anyway, <laughs> that's not my trip. But anyways, Amoeba here in San Francisco is great. There's a few in, in England that I've gone to just recently in Camden but I can't recall their names. When you have a day off, you know, you're, you've traveled, obviously, you know what's up. It's like you have a day off and you want to go kill the day off. You just kind of go find something and go get into the shit. Yeah, I love finding a good um, soundtrack album. I don't know why I love those so much, but I always gravitate towards them. And every now and then you just get some real good gems. I love them. There's a great soundtrack and I forget, it's, it's got the song Memo from Turner. It's a role, it's a Mick Jagger. I, I'm not sure if it's a Stone song, but it, I forget what the name of the soundtrack is, but it's, I want to say Mick Jagger might've, but it, it's, it's this incredible song called Memo from Turner. It's like the slide guitar and he's, he's got killer lyrics, whatever. It's, maybe it's the performance. I think there's a record or we call the performance, but you might actually really like it. If you like soundtracks, then you might like this record. It's worth the money just for the song Mem- memo from Turner or memo to Turner. I can't remember the exact title, but that's the reason why I got the record. And then I just, for that song. And then I, as I was listening to the record, I was like, well, this is actually pretty cool. Most ridiculous amount of money you've spent on a record. And what was it? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I've spent, I know it was about 500 bucks and it was on a seven inch. And I want to say it was 
for a very rare boy record. Could have been the Bleach Boys. 150 bucks is about as much as I'll go. And it must be something I really, really want. But I bought some bootlegs for three, 400 bucks, like some motorhead bootlegs I've paid that much for. But I also had a lot of disposable income. That was before kids, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, I want it. Who cares? I did that with the Neil Young on the beach record, right? Just, I really needed it. Actually, I will say John bought it for me because I was like, I really want That's this. Nice. We were That's like nice. courting at the time. So he was trying to be, was trying to like, you know. Oh, yeah. My seal man. the My deal. Man. <laughs> it worked. Turns out it worked. I think I also did like 100, it might have been 150. I found it's like um, a four-part Alice in Wonderland vinyl that's like really cool. It's like in the whole like box set, books in there. And then like, I couldn't not buy it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's the way that they're packaging records now. It's pretty freaking cool. And especially the box sets kind of stuff. Because you can get it all right then and there, you know. And then it's also a new pressing of, you know, these old records. So you don't have to play your old records anymore. Because, you know static happens to these records or skips or pops and you know that's also part of the experience too but sometimes just to have a cleaner version of something is pretty cool so if somebody is taking let's say a hundred bucks we'll give them two if we feel like being generous depending on what the album is and then i'll stop talking to you about albums someone's going into say amoeba what are they buying to build their record collection you're starting from scratch you just need like a bit of a foundation you're buying say five records what are you getting well, if you got a hundred bucks, you're not going to be able to walk out of there with five <laughs> records anymore. <laughs> That's why I bumped it up to two. We'll bump it up right, to two hundred. Right. Okay, two hundred. Well, you know, if you if it's punk rock or this kind of kind of music, I would say you cannot leave that store without some sort of GBH record. Uh, you got to buy a Motorhead record, preferably one of the first five records. So you know, I'd hope you would have your phone so you could Google their discography. I would think that you would definitely need something from my, one of my bands for sure, just because, you know, yeah. I need to make money and feed my kids. <laughs> yeah. So to understand where it all truly comes from, I would say, you, you know, buy a jam record, buy maybe all mod cons or, um, you know, get something like that because that kind of fits into it too. Cause then you have motorhead, you have GBH, you have, you know, something that I've done, you have the jam. And then maybe lastly, what I would say is I would go get a Trojan record sampler, preferably from the 60s, late 60s. And then I think you would understand where this music, how it all works together. Whether, you know, Paul Weller was taken from the punk. Motorhead obviously was like inventing the shit. And um, GBH is personified to this music and what it is. They, there, there wasn't GBH and Motorhead. There never would have been Metallica, Slayer, Exodus, Green Day, you know. But I think you also need to throw in a little ACD. I remember when I met Lemmy the first time and it was at the, uh, we played this thing, the K-Rock show. It was called the Weenie Roast. I want to say it was 1995. And it was before, I want to say, it might've been right on the heels of Outcome of the Wolves release. And I met Lemmy for the first time and he was wearing his little Daisy Dukes and a little vest. And I went up to him and I said, hey, I just want to let you know that I'm a huge Motorhead fan. And I've listened to you since I was 11 years old, you know, or 10 years old. And he goes, name one song that's not Ace of Spades. And I was like, uh, Metropolis, Bomber. And he's like, okay, okay, I understand. Because, you know, obviously everybody knows him from Ace of Spades. And I said, listen, you know, I got Rose Tattoo, which is an Australian band, that band I was talking about, tattooed right here. I'm going to put the Motorhead Skull, you know, War Pig over here. 
And he just looked me dead in the eye and said, you better put ACDC on your navel. <laughs> Tell me to get an a- ACDC belly rocker tattoo. Did you do it? Did you follow through? No, but I do have ACDC on my leg. A belly button tattoo is pretty risky. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I have something there, but, you know, I have like a burning Viking ship and then, you know, some old stuff that's there, old affiliations. But uh, Kiss was the very first band I ever fell in love with. I mean, I was when when my mom and dad got divorced. My mom took me and my brother to Denmark and we had an older cousin, Karen, and she loved Slade and T-Rex chicory tip mabel uh sweet all the glam stuff and a lot of the stuff from the uk like the british invasion kind of stuff so when my brother brought home kiss like it was no shit why i loved it so much because that's that's who they were i mean kiss was trying to be slayed so that was my first love and plus they were theatrical it's why i love pro wrestling so much i think it's because i loved kiss the theatrics of it the drama the, the storytelling of, you know, the spaceman and the star child and the demon and the, and the pussycat, you know, like, and I loved cats. So Peter and Ace, you know, Peter and Ace were my, always my favorites. But my point is, is that it was like something that you could just really dive into. It was like, there was substance there. It was a psychology to it all. And it's just like great pro wrestling, really. I remember when I went and saw Iron Maiden once and I was like, wow, this feels like a pro wrestling show too. The way that they come out and just like they light up that stage. They've got like the jet there, the, the whole shebang with everything that uh, that Iron Maiden does. That felt very pro wrestling to me. Well, you know, that's one of the things, uh, I, you know, and I've said this over the years, the only way, reason why I've been able to communicate to the crowd is because of pro wrestling. The way I write a set list is kind of like the way I see it as, as a match. It's like you got an hour long Broadway, but you got to bring people to peaks of value. You got to come out, hit them hard. You know, you got to lock up, you got to punch, you got to go back and forth, and then you got to slow them down. You got to get on the mat. You know, you got to start getting into some submissions. Then at the end, you got to do your high spots, time bomb Ruby Soho, and you're going home. My uh, drummer, Brandon, he goes, you're not a punk rocker. You're not a skinhead, Lars. You're a pro wrestler trapped in, in, in a punk rocker's body. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you're kind of right. That's the way I kind of, I can kind of, I, I see things. I've never, you know, I've stepped foot in the ring. I've been a manager. I've done those things in wrestling. I've promoted, um, but, uh, I, you know, I feel it's just been always been my first real love. You know, I loved the whole thing about it. What was your first kind of peek into the world of pro wrestling that, that made your heart go pitter patter? Uh, well, you know, there was a, a gentleman that moved into our neighborhood and his name was Andy Finney and he was from Detroit, Michigan. And he used to go to Coba Hall and watch the Sheik in Detroit. And when he moved to California, I remember it was about 1982 and my, and the punk rocker in the neighborhood was Sean Gregonis who lived next door to him. And that's how we kind of got all into punk rock. But Andy was like 20 something my mom really liked him. He was a really good guy. He always looked out after us young guys, you know, because my brother by the, that time was 16, 17. And I was, you know, a little younger. No, he maybe he's more, more like six, 15, 16. So <clears throat> I wa- walked into Andy's house one Saturday morning at like 10 a.m. And what was on the TV was, I think it was, it was WWF. And uh, I just sat down <clears throat> and I said, 
this is amazing. Like I, you know, I just remember thinking, wow, this is freaking cool. These guys are like, I, you know, I don't remember it making a conscious, uh, like, uh, what I'm about to say wasn't conscious, but they were like superheroes, right? They were like cartoon characters, but they were also like these super badasses, right? But I didn't make like the connection, like it was a superhero. <clears throat> but at being that age, I was I was reading comic books and maybe that's what, what the connection was. Hindsight's 2020 and that's it. We were lucky to have like AWA had a TV show. WWF had a TV show. We had big time wrestling. Um, at one point. So maybe this was 81. It could have been 81, 82. So, I, you know, but that's the first time I really, I was 10. So it was 81. So that's when I first kind of saw it on TV. And then I went to my first matches maybe a year and a half later. Hell yeah. It's, I feel like the San Jose area has got some really like good stuff going on over there too. It seems well, yeah, I mean, we, we've always had really cool independent stuff. Uh, they've always brought in the Lucha stuff like AAA and, and, and uh, CMLL did shows here. I've seen Polynesian Pacific Championship Wrestling. That was High Chief Peter Maivia's. And I remember their champion was Lars Anderson. And just having a wrestler by the name of Lars, I was so <laughs> stoked. And we would get their TV on the UHF channel. And then we you had Bill Watts with Mid-South. You'd get that. And I always loved how they left you on like a on a, on a cliffhanger. You know what I mean? It'd be like one man gang versus, you know, uh, Terry Taylor or something. And then the blood would be flying, but then they would cut. We've got to have, we're going to finish it up next week. Jim Ross on the call. And you know I mean? most exciting. My dream is to have Jim Ross. like call a ransom. I feel like, like that would probably be, make that happen. <laughs> I probably could, but it was the commentating it was everything. It was the, uh, you know, what, and then getting, you know, world championship wrestling, NWA stuff. When, when cable TV happened, that was a game changer, right? Because now we, I was seeing like, cause Andy had stacks of wrestling magazines, you know? And so I was seeing these matches, you know, Ric Flair, who's Dusty Rhodes, who's Ric Flair, who's Harley race, who's uh wildfire, Tommy Rich, who's, who are these guys? Right. And it's not like you had the internet where you could just go Google it. It's like you read in the magazines or, you know, seeing Hacksaw Jim Duggan or the Sheep Herders and they're just bloody messes. <laughs> no one gets a bigger pop just, than Hacksaw Jim Duggan. When you're anytime we would do Hall of Fame and everyone's kind of filing out and people are finding their seats every time he walks out, the entire arena is like, oh, <laughs> for like I mean, of course, 10 man. minutes. It's great. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, that was kind of the catalyst of it all. And then as I started consuming, then I started like, taping tv shows and then then the tape trading thing happened and that's where i met tony the first time really yeah so he was on a death valley driver which was like a, a blog i met will helmick through there i met uh so many people through that uh my friend the birdman was on there he was called the bat boy there but it was like you know and people would share matches you know and uh that's how you would find out. And then the tape traders, you know, they would have lists and you would order and you would ask for certain matches. Maybe you didn't see like the concession brawl, you know, for the first time being able to get all this stuff because people had been recording it, you know, obviously for so long, you know, so I, that's really, you know, I got into all that. And so just would, would, would consume pro wrestling. 
So you met Tony on this, this like chat board situation. What do you think about what he's been able to do now? I mean, creating AEW, creating this amazing alternative for people, uh, and then, you know, going up against the things that are happening in WWE right now, which is now under uh, the reign of Triple H. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's going to get tougher for Tony because now that the, I, the product is actually watchable, who would have ever thought that Vince McMahon would not be working that company, right? Not me. Um, not me. I thought for the day, you know, to the day he died. But what Tony's done is remarkable. I think it's incredible that he's been able to give a product the way that he has with the talent that he has. I mean, I used to see a lot of those guys on the indies, you know, watching your husband in CZW and then seeing his progression through the WWE and just knowing that was never going to be right for him. And then feeling like now seeing him pop it in GCW here, AEW here. Like that's, that's where you want to see him. That's what kind of wrestler he is, you know? So for him to have those types of like opportunities is, you know, and then for Tony to like open up, you know, and give these guys a place to work, you know, and in some ways saving some guys' careers or helping them shape their careers. Like Cody, Cody, if he would have stayed in the WWE, I mean, I love the Stardust Gold Dust. Me tag team. too. I loved it. And, but then it's like that, that fucking hotshot kind of, booking kind of stuff it's like here's this great team and then a month later they're gone and we just pretend it never happened no one talks about it but uh, no I agree with you I mean you look at what Cody's been able to do to leave WWE have these stars in his eyes be able to do what he was able to accomplish in AEW and now swing things back the other direction he would not be able to have the run that he's about to have when he comes back from uh, recovery but he wouldn't have that if it wasn't for this other opportunity 100%. And I think that his raw, his feud with Rollins, like that got me emotionally invested and actually became like, I always knew that there was something in that guy. Obviously, you know, he comes from great stock and his brother, you know, obviously was a superstar. His dad's a superstar. Now he's taking his place. I would always kind of wait for him. I would be like, when he's 32, that's when it's really going to be like, oh, your body's going to be bigger because that's just what happens with gravity (laughs) and age. And, you know, and you're going to be, Cody's always been very, he's always brought the psychology in and that's important. That's a lost art because now it's like high spot, high spot, high spot. Now you're going to go through the table and you've gone through six tables and now you're going to run the ropes. I want the characters. I want to care about everybody. Yeah. But I mean, it's also in the wrestling too, you know, it's like, that's one of the things. And I understand that, you know, for me as a fan, there's different generations. And for instance, that original Ring of Honor generation changed the business. Is that when you met Punk? I think he was doing Ring of Honor at the time, but he was also doing, um, oh, what was that called? Uh, fucking, uh, what was that? Uh, Axel, Axel Rotten's? Uh, I forget I forget the name of the, the company, but it was, I want to say it was an Axel Rotten's company. It was some sort of like Midwest Kentucky thing or something. Anyways, it doesn't matter. But so we, I was on a warp tour with the bastard. So this is 2004, 2005. And our, one of the sound guys was friends with him and said that we were played in Philly and I was walking up the stage or the back of the stage to go play the show. And he, and he was, he was at the show and he's walking down. I, he said, you're Lars Fredrickson. I said, you're CM Punk. And we just kind of hit it off from there. There was an understanding there. You know, I was, I'm obviously a little older than he is. And, you know, it's a little bit of a different generation, but it's the psychology and the mindset, I think, that we share. And through that's the friendship, you know. 
So over the years, it's just gotten stronger and, you know, it's 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 cultivated into more of a family member. To bring Ruby Soho into the mix. I know you've spoken about this before, but, um, you know, as as Ruby is making the, the move into AEW, everyone's so excited to see what she's going to do. This chick just fucking kicks ass. She's so cool. Um, and for her, of course, to use your song, Ruby Soho, what was like the conversations you guys had? Me and this guy, Dennis Farrell, we do a wrestling podcast called The Wrestling Perspective. And it's more it's not it's not it's more about a fan thing. It's not really like a dirt sheet kind of thing. We just we've had so many different people on. And when Ruby got released, you know, she had hit me up because she wanted to do an outfit that was sort of an homage to something of mine, you know, something I wore. She said, is this okay? She hit me up through Instagram. I said, of course, I'd be honored. You know, obviously I'm a huge wrestling fan and I was a fan of Ruby Riot. So, and I thought she was very talented, but unfortunately in that company, the women didn't weren't really getting it. They never really had a chance up until recently. Yeah, it's always kind of been like a, I don't want to say it was a start and stop, start and stop, but it, you know, we know who the main people were that were getting those opportunities and those pushes and um, Ruby and uh, the Riot Squad weren't necessarily those women. But Liv, on the other hand, now was crushing it. Uh, but yes. But I feel like they weren't given the opportunities to do so. And, and I think that when you're in a place that sort of stifles creativity, you can't really truly become who you are. And I think anybody who's been through that ringer in that, in that era of, you know, who was running the company and everything else will tell you that I felt stifled. I felt like I couldn't be myself, you know, whatever you, you, you hear the same stuff. And I'm, I'm not talking ill, but it just is what it is. You know, if a hundred people, it's kind of like this, if there's more than three assholes in your life, there's a great chance you're the asshole. Okay. So <laughs> That's kind of the rule of thumb, right? So if every, if there's a hundred people saying the exact same fucking thing, then maybe it's true, right? So yeah, yeah. But so she, I hit her up because she had gotten a release, and I said, "Hey, listen, I know I don't really know what your situation is, but I do this podcast. It's fun. We, you know, we just want to have you on. You know, it would just be kind of cool, whatever." Because the WWE totally, completely ignores us, right? Oh, they ignore me too for what it's worth. And I worked there for a long time. There you go. It's like they're (laughs) shooting themselves in the foot because obviously they have a script, you know, they have a script, you know, and they can't go off script. They've got their people they want to work with and the the stories that they want to, that's, yeah, it's If I was like, you know, some 51 year old weirdo living in my mom's basement, like with my podcast, yeah, ignore me. But I'm I've done a few things, maybe. Yeah, you're fucking Lars Fredrickson, bitches. If they're ignoring you, then it doesn't make me feel that bad because obviously you are who you are, which is a bigger superstar than I ever would be. But that's not true. But just in that world, but because I've worked with them for so long, I don't take it personally either because I understand how they operate. I get it. No hard feelings. I I understand what it is. But anyways, yeah, give me some guests. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she, she said, yes, I'd love to come and do your show. It was the first interview that she had done since her WWE release. And as we were just talking shit, she's like, yeah, I, I can't use this name anymore. And I said, well, isn't it fucking obvious? And she's like, what do you mean? I said, well, Ruby Soho, duh. You know, or I don't remember how exactly. And she goes, you think? And I said, yeah, I know a few people. Like, I could probably get it done for you. You know what I mean? Because... The, uh, Matt and Tim always used to watch with me during the Attitude Era. So they know about pro wrestling. They know about my love of pro wrestling and, and they, they love it themselves. They, you know, okay. They're not like me where it's like, I'm immersed in it and I know who's wrestling here and blah, 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 you know, but 
they're a, enough of a fan to know who she is and what it is. And not only that, but like, I always wanted this, you know, it's like, you know, why the fuck are you picking this band? You know, when you got the wrestling fan guy, let's work with our people. Right. I have offered for another company and I won't mention their name, but I was like, look, I can write your theme music. You know, like what you're coming out with is fucking generic trash. It's shit. You're 10 years behind the curve. It's not a company run by another guy for music, is it? No, it's not. Then that's all I'll say about it. But he, 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 they didn't, <laughs> okay. they didn't, they didn't want to spend the money, but not like I was yeah. charging an arm and leg, but I was like, I could do this twice as good, you know, long story short. I called up the band and I just said, Hey, listen, we got a super talented female wrestler. She's great. She's, she's going to make waves and I'm a fan of hers. What do you guys think? And Tim knew who she was. And they're just like, yeah, dude, let's let's go for it. Let's make it happen. And I just called her and said, what do we need to do? Like, what are we, are we, you know, obviously it's gotta be fair for both parties. You know, what do we got to do? I knew Tony was familiar. We were familiar. So I figured it was probably going to get done. He likes to get that licensed music. That's for sure. I respect it. 100%. Listen, what he's doing for the wrestling business is insane. He's bringing it to a whole different level that we're not going to maybe, we're seeing, you know, to some degree right now, but in 10 years from now, we're going to be really understanding what he's really doing. And I understand that people have their complaints about like, you know, and whatever, and it all, it all is what it is. But at the end of the day, he's giving somebody another option. It's like Uber and Lyft. It's like you can pick which one you like and you can enjoy it. And I'm not going to go on Twitter and say, fuck Lyft. <laughs> fucking yeah, yeah. their pink sign. <laughs> They're fucking stupid. You know, yeah. but honestly, if it's, it's all about pro wrestling and I feel like what he's doing and the opportunities that he's giving these guys and ladies to be themselves and to creatively express themselves. It's, it's awesome. I can speak firsthand too, from like just the difference in like literally from the time that John left WWE to what he's doing now. I mean, he's a different person. He's a total, like I can just see that creativity flowing out of him. He thinks about it so differently now because he can, because he knows that he can execute the things that he really wants to do. And it's, it's really nice to see people be able to scratch that itch. It is. And I, but it's, but it's also, it's like, you, you know, I'm hoping, and I know that there's probably still trying to figure everything out there, but there has to be some sort of container for that to be, it can't be an oppressive container where there's like a, you know, sort of a, a dictator, Right. But there has to be that in wrestling only because there's so many fucking egos. You have to have a good infrastructure. And that's the one thing that the WWE maybe might have the edge on AEW is maybe in that structure and how things go, you know. And I mean, I've been in both backstages in, in different periods of time with different wrestlers. And I will say that in an AEW locker room, it's got a lot more spirit. It's a little bit more carefree. It, it's going to be interesting to see how things, you know, as we both know, a lot of things have happened and how that's going to unfold, you know. Football fans, check out the Three and Out podcast with John Middlecoff only on the Volume Podcast Network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex-NFL scout to the volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even an occasional golf tip. 
John has you covered. Download three and out with John Middlecoff only on the Volume Podcast Network. Okay, so because you would have a better idea, a better gauge of this, what do you think Tony paid to get sympathy for the devil? I don't know, but you know what? I I I, I just wondered why he didn't use Motorhead's version of it because I think that's a little bit more sinister. I do believe that the Stone song is it's obviously a classic song, and I think. But I mean, it's MJF, like to have that little, well, maybe the Motorhead thing because of Triple H, maybe that's probably why they didn't do it. Or maybe they just didn't even know that it existed. But when I saw it and he came out to it, I was like, okay, this is appropriate. And with the storytelling behind the whole thing is like beautiful. It's 100%. But that's why we tune in, right? Is to get those little moments and MJF's return needed to be that special. And it freaking was. And he's such a talent. I, I will say this because I do know him personally, but he's the nicest dude in the world. <laughs> I, I know he's very he's such, sweet. He's, he's such a cool dude. <laughs> I love that guy. And but but honestly, he's an asshole. He's a yeah. Screw prick. that guy. He's a piece yeah, of shit. Yeah. yeah um, but, before I yeah. let you go, because I know I've had you on here for a long time, and I'm picking your brain about a million different things. Um, to just bring it full circle to when I met you in Las Vegas. Now you um. You do not seem nervous at all. You were ready to go out there and play, but you said that you were nervous. How different is that? I mean, for a man that has played for so long to be able to step out in front of a wrestling crowd playing a song that you know they're going to sing all along to, what was that experience like for you? You are always going to have a level of self-confidence. Like I know that I can walk into any building and do what I do just because that's just what I, what I do. And I always are going to, I'm always going to get goosebumps. I'm always going to get nervous, but I think that's part of the, the thing, you know, the, one of the things that I've learned along the way that if you're the smartest guy in the room, then you're in the wrong fucking room, which means to, which, which I'm trying to convey is that you're always got to be able to be willing to be teachable. And every moment that you do walk up on a stage or you do a performance is a teachable moment. And if you're not open to that, then you wouldn't be nervous. That's just been my experience. No, I, I agree with you on that 100%. First of all, we're mixing two things that I love very much, and that's pro wrestling and punk rock in my band, right? And our, I should say our band. That culmination of things, mixing the, the two streams, Egon, it's like you don't really know what's going to happen. I know that we're good enough to win anybody over. I mean, let's just face it. That's not a bad song, you know? So a wrestling crowd can go either way. I mean, literally two nights before they booed Roby Soho out of the fucking ring. Yeah, yeah, they're hot and cold. Fickle. The same people are going like CM Punk, MJF, CM. <laughs> they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth, yeah. <laughs> but that's just like a thing that, the, that you do at wrestling. So the culture kind of has changed, you know? Wrestling fans are smarter, right? Yeah. I go to an indie show here in San Francisco and they're clapping after certain moves like they do in Japan. I'm like, I've been to the Tokyo Dome. I've been to Kurokan Hall. I've seen wrestling in Japan, all different promotions. That's part of their thing. That's how wrestling fans, And but now it's here in America, right? Anyway, I'm getting to a point. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, how is this going to go over? Like, I know that people know who we are. I know that people have made the connection, whether it be through CM Punk or now Ruby Soho, or just me in general, knowing me for, or knowing the band for 30 years that we're wrestling fans or I'm a wrestling fan. It's I've never made that a secret. Like it's always been pretty worn out on my sleep. 
So I'm nervous because I just don't know. It's like that's that's the box of chocolates. Wrestling fans are the box of chocolates because you don't you don't, and especially in today's, you know, Moxley is 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 celebrated in Ohio and then booed in Chicago. It can go either way, you know, and then MJF comes out in Chicago and he's getting a big, you know what I mean? It's like, choose a side, motherfuckers. <laughs> it's funny to predict. Yeah, because no, you're right. It, it really depends on where you are, what that crowd is. We know where like the smart crowds are. And Vegas is a weird one to predict as well, because I'm sure if you were in a Chicago or you're in New York or you're in Philly, you know what kind of a vibe you're going to get. Vegas, we're not really sure what those Vegas fans are like yet. Well, and not only that, but most importantly, you have to remember that like that's a pay-per-view. So that's everybody from everywhere. So in, in essence, you're, you know, you're not just playing to Las Vegas. You're playing to Portugal, England, uh, East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, Canada, Mexico. You're playing everywhere, right? So you're playing to everybody. So, but I was nervous as fuck and I was going to shit a brick. And then the worst <laughs> fucking part about the whole night for me is I had that goddamn fucking smoke machine, which always drives me out and makes me sick. And it's literally blowing right on the side of my face. And while we're playing the song, I was just like, oh, this is like, this is humility. I'm achieving my, one of my dreams, one of my bucket list things. I played the garden. I fucking played Saturday Night Live. And now I'm doing a wrestling pay-per-view, fucking bucket list, boom, boom, boom. And now the smoke machine is just completely fucking covering me (laughs) and humbling the (laughs) shit out of me. So it's like, there's always a little bit of that too, but I, you know, having my Lars versus the smoke machine, but having my, my (laughs) my youngest there, you know, was, was also a treat too, because, you know, he loves wrestling he loves to get a chance to see his uncle punk. And, you know, he met Jericho and, you know, and a few other, other guys and he, Will Hobbs has known him, you know, since he was like, yeah, five or six. Yeah. He's a good San Jose guy. Is he San Jose, Oakland? He's out there. Yeah. He's Hayward. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Bay area. But like we used to go see, uh, when he was, uh, Will Power. So in, that was his gimmick. And, and then Will being such a gigantic dude was so extra courteously courteous to Soren and so nice to him. And got down on Soren's level and communicated with him. And that, honestly, that interaction between Will and Soren made Soren love pro wrestling. Oh, I love that. And I've told Will this, but like Will, Will's a, a diamond. Yeah, and he is. Uh, his presence would scare a lot of people because he's a big freaking dude. That's intimidating, especially to a little five, six-year-old kid. But the fact that he was able to kind of level the playing field showed me that he's a real guy. He does that with my daughter anytime I have her backstage too. He is always over there saying hi to Nora. She's in like shy girl stage. She won't go to anybody, but he tries every time. Eventually she will take the bait and go. But yeah, he's just the sweetest. That's funny. But also a beast and he'll kill everybody. That's right. You know, (laughs) those types of interactions, you know, are the ones that make always make the impression on me. You know, it's like you have to take that time. If somebody's bought a ticket and bought your record, bought your book, bought your thing. You got to take the fucking time. I don't care what, I mean, that's the unfortunate part about like, you know, at some points, it's like, even if you're having a bad fucking day, the fan doesn't know that the kid that's coming up to you doesn't know that and doesn't need to know that. Cause that'll stick with them for forever. If you're shitty to them, you're mean to them. They'll never forget that. Yeah. I always try to look people in the eye, speak very nicely and 
you know, give them the courtesy of the time because it's not a lesson I think I, you know, I had to learn, but when, when fucking Tony Bennett walked through an airport with me in Las Vegas during a cowboy convention, I looked like a fucking rodeo clown from outer that space. That fucking cowboy convention used to kill me. Yeah. So I'm walking <laughs> through with leopard skin hair, bright mohair sweater, fucking bondage pants, and Tony Bennett's walking right beside me, carrying on a conversation. I thought, if Tony motherfucking Bennett can talk to little old me, looks like a rodeo clown in a fucking cowboy convention and walk with me to get our bags and whatever. Johnny Ramone, same thing, would sit and talk with you. He might not have been the most uh, ungrumpy guy, but he still gave you the time of day. And it doesn't matter who you are. Just being a person. You got to be a person. You can't like stop and not have those conversations and have those interactions. Also, that's the shit that makes like, honestly, it makes your day fucking better anyways. Even if you are in a mood, you stop and have an interaction with somebody. It can snap you out of whatever shit you're going through. Right. And But I understand, you know, like MJF, him being the biggest heel in the world, if he's an asshole to you on the street, then fucking take that as a victory because, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Because yeah. that 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 craft is long but gone and I'm glad my man is still fucking kayfabe. Was the it, fuck was it Cherry Shepard that called him out for that? Is that who it was that was like, he was he was mean to me at the airport and she like called Mark Henry about it or something. Like it was like all over the news. It was oh great. my God. Well, it, but that's, you know, uh, that's what's working for him, you know, so. Well, listen, I'll let you get back to your day. I really appreciate you. you hanging out with me. Well, I really wanted to have you on the show. Yeah, thank this you. was great. Huge wrestling fan. I'm a huge fan of yours. And yeah, just fun to shoot the shit with you today. Anytime. Hell yeah. Well, hopefully I'll see you at a show soon. Sounds good. Thank you to Lars for hanging out with me. A total blast having this guy on. I don't really know Lars. Um, I've met him once prior to us jumping on this podcast. So it's, it's always funny doing interviews like that. And you're not really sure like, Oh, are we like going to get along? Is it going to be an easy conversation? How's this going to go? And I feel like we could have um, chatted for like hours. I felt like I like kept him on for forever because there's just so many different avenues and different things to talk to that guy about. So thank you, Lars, for taking the time to hang out with me. I'm sure that our paths will cross again at another wrestling show down the way. Hopefully we'll be out there uh, singing Ruby Soho to the ring yet again uh but yeah i'm sure i'm sure we'll kind of see it down the line somewhere so guys um yeah keep your eyes peeled for all things lars frederickson you guys know where to find the guy all of his social media he's got all sorts of things on there to plug so check all of that out and if you want to see this interview you guys know where it is it's gonna be over on the youtube page so just search renee paquette over on youtube it will all pop up there all right guys i'm out of here this has been the sessions 